Hello, I'm Daniel Simpson, the host of Ancient Futures. And if you're hearing this, you're listening to a preview of an archived podcast. For the full conversation, go to ancientfutures.substack.com. The link is in the show notes and become a paid subscriber. Or you can also sign up for a free seven day trial with no obligation. If you already subscribe, however, you have access to everything via the website um, where you can go to your account page to set up a feed to your favourite podcast app. Just follow the instructions at ancientfutures.substack.com forward slash account. Now, everything is free at the time of release, so it's also possible to subscribe without any charge to get the latest episodes direct to your inbox, along with other interviews and things that I write. All of that does take time to produce, though, so while it's a labour of love, subscriber donations do help make it sustainable. But if you're not in a position to pay, just send me a message and we'll work something out. For now, on with the preview. Hello and welcome to Ancient Futures, where we talk about the power of traditional ideas to change modern lives. Today, I'm joined by Alex Medin, um, who's a mixture of hotel manager, Sanskrit scholar and yoga social worker. (laughs) For the past two summers, I've had the great pleasure of joining Alex in his mountain retreat for the Norwegian Yoga Festival. That's also given me an insight into his other work. Uh, He runs a charity that helps to rehabilitate former prisoners and drug addicts, some of whom he now employs. Um, As a young man... Alex dropped out of school and got entangled in crime, but uh, he was saved by a boxing coach uh, who taught him some self-discipline. He then went on to dabble in ballet before he found yoga, which he's been teaching for more than 20 years. We discuss his experiences studying in India, um, as well as some difficult questions about the extent to which yoga can change us. Um, along with the values we need to prioritise if we want it to do that. (laughs) So it's a rich conversation about worldly yoga, um, from the importance of relationships to ethical conduct, um, and the development of love as the ultimate goal, um, instead of rarefied ideas about getting enlightened. Um, You can find out more about Alex's work via the links in the show notes, um, and for study opportunities with me, uh, check out Daniel Simpson. Dot info. Um, and finally, if, uh, if you enjoy the podcast and want to support it as a paying subscriber, you can donate at ancientfutures.substack.com and that's uh, greatly appreciated. Now, without further ado, let's explore what it means to make yoga a way of life with Alex Medin. So, Alex, welcome. Thank you. Nice to see you again, Daniel. Likewise. It's been a real pleasure to connect with you over the last couple of years and uh, to be part of what you've built in in Norway, um, which, uh, as I look through this screen at you, is is staring me in the face as a very beautiful location, um, but also a very inspiring setting um, at the festival that uh, you host in the hotel that we can see in the background. And the thing that really impresses me about the Norwegian Yoga Festival is that it's not just about physical practices and it's not just about one perspective. And Mm. uh, there's lots of different people coming together, talking about ideas, 
but also the participants often speaking a, a second or third language are really interested in engaging in deep inquiry discussion debate in really large numbers more people than i can ever attract to any of my courses here in the uk so i really want to ask you you know how does that happen um how have you been able to build such a, you know, a community around yoga more broadly rather than just you know coming to make shapes um well i think it's kind of part of the thing that you know really fascinates us is yoga for life daily life how do we understand it how do we implement it in our life and what are some of the pitfalls that prevent us from seeing that and that's kind of always been part of our you say you could say agenda our theme here at nursing uh, and we've been very much um interested in trying to bring yoga to the unnormal people that go to a normal yoga class you know we've been working with inmates from prison we've been working with drug addicts and we're trying to let them uh, to see will yoga work for them then we could say that yoga is actually working rather is yoga working for the modern pop culture of yoga when people are just like fascinated by yoga it's very hard to get some good solid proof whether yoga is working or not uh, for them and creating a change in their life you know although i would say you know yoga helps mostly in all people's life if we're patient enough to inquire into it and practically speaking how is that manifesting you've got there i think working for you a number of people who are you know, part of a broader program that you're running providing you know, yoga-based rehabilitation, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and is, is, is that most of the staff at Nersen, or is it just a proportion? Uh, no, I mean, we have some, you know, professional staff that is trained. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I have to tell you the whole thing at Nersen, you know, we had no experience from the restaurant industry, hotel industry, service management industry. But I had experience from yoga and, and mm. being a yoga teacher for 20 plus years and diving into the kind of Sanskrit and Indian tradition, trying to, you know, scratch the surface of yoga and imply that in practical life uh, worked well. And we were lucky to attract some people who wanted to come and work here. We have some great professional chefs and some a woman who works as a daily manager and other people who works with you know, cleaning the place and, and 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 carpenters and things like that. But in the beginning, it was very much just like living from hand to mouth and trying to to survive basically, uh, and not go bankrupt. <laughs> and now we're <laughs> <laughs> now we're are able to sustain on a daily basis and feel infinitely grateful uh, for that. Uh, but in order to give back something to society, we try to always um, allow uh, former inmates and drug addicts to come and live with us for like anything from six months to three to six months to a couple of years. And for those who really make a change and make a turning point in their life, they we uh, employ later. And now we have about four people who are employed uh, working here with a background from 
you know, being in prison over a longer period of time and, and being a drug addict. And then in addition to that, we always have like 10 people who are struggling in those areas who live here. And we just try to train them, help them, um, yeah, let them take part of the services we do here. And most of the time it works really well, but sometimes it's a bit of friction and it's headaches and it's hard work, you know? <laughs> but uh, like say, when we have a good harmony among the the staff and volunteers here, Nelson is the best place to be. But also we are a little bit, you know, management at risk when we take in somebody, you know, directly out of prison. And some people have some psychological issues that is hard to deal with and they have a history of you know struggles for a long time and we are not really a professional institution that can really help people with serious you know psychological issues we just try to help them with yoga creating a good environment creating an atmosphere of trust and mutual uh, faith in each other so that's how we run it there's a couple of programs that um, I've heard you refer to and seen people, you know, wearing T-shirts and with slogans mm. from. Um, and I wonder, are they actually two manifestations of the same thing? Back in the Ring is the name of one of them, yeah. and Gangster Yoga is the other. Um, mm. And uh, they've, they're, they're both, you know, have this sort of street fighter dimension to them. And uh, mm. I'm curious uh, whether they are actually distinct programs or, or they're two ways of talking about this project that you've just been describing. You know, I mean to be we need to distinguish between this like nursing yoga and mountain hotel that's one mm-hmm. thing and that's the kind of business that we run here and that's a, a charity organization that i started 12 years ago called back in the ring it was actually called yoga for life because we did some projects the, the back in the ring become the famous name we call it back in the ring and part of that program also it's kind of it's gangster yoga for the people in prison it's of course and it's not the bling bling gangster style that we try <laughs> to glorify gangster in any way it's the kind of the, the opposite of if you we just called it that to attract some people in prison it's and it's very much a program we run trying to make the gangsters or the people being caught up in a very you know disruptive destructive criminal behavior and that really comes from, you know, lack of understanding. It comes from, you know, deeper issues of traumas and not fitting in with life and being an outsider rather than a contributor to society. And, and gangster yoga is mostly programs we run in prison. Uh, and the back in the ring program is programs we run for um you could say people who have been to drug rehabilitation or people who have been to rehab and live in a certain town trying to fill their days with meaning. Back in the Ring today is active in more than 20 uh, towns, so you could say uh, cities around, although our cities is not so big in Norway, <laughs> also being the biggest with one million. But cities around Norway where we have programs, and in some cities we have yoga programs, um, five or eight times a week mm-hmm. uh, where we have, you know, a professional yoga teacher or a former drug addict who we train to become a yoga teacher. 
and that we work with, you know, they implement different aspects of yoga. And then we have various dialogues about, you could say, what we call Gittenstein, they're cornerstones in life. It has about value. What are our values really? And how do we implement them in our life? So the whole kind of back in the ring program is a charity organization where we get a little bit of money now from the Norwegian government and the criminal justice department that help us fund the teacher and kind of running the program within the various cities and the, the, the jails, 17 jails in Norway. Uh, but the nurse and yoga and, and, and mountain hotel is a kind of, it's a business where we create services for people that come and it can be, you know, I hold some yoga courses here, but there's a lot of other great teachers that come, you being one of them, and the Norwegian Yoga Festival being one of the things we do in order to create a good yoga atmosphere and simply having normal workshops and teachers come. But And also we have family festivals and we do a lot of various things simply to, you know, first and foremost, to create a good atmosphere and environment but also things we have to do to make money you know to to pay the bills and pay the staff and make it go around i'm curious about your own background that led you towards the kind of work you were just describing mm. um i know that you were at one time a boxer and uh you've described yeah. in various storytelling moments um some of your own experiences with being a mm. bit wayward as, as a younger mm. man um, I wonder if you could say a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I was young and restless and uh, I never, you know, grew up without the father and being alone with a young mother who who, who was an artist, it was hard for her, you know, and uh, I had a twin brother and we were both reckless and, and crazy. And uh, there's a long story, but later, you know, um, yeah, uh, an adoptive father and dysfunctional family and, and some sad things. But And I was an angry young man, you know, with a lot of uh, unresolved issues and lack of trust and lack of solid foundation in myself. So like naturally I fell into a lot of drugs and, and crime from the age of 16. But then I was very lucky to have a very good boxing coach that saw me and he kind of put some hard demands on me. You know, I he said, other you, you know, continue that nonsense you're doing and go to prison or end up like a drug addict or you get yourself together. You come here and you train boxing with me every day. And that kind of worked, that discipline. And that kind of, you could say, it saved me from the streets and some of my friends from that time, you know, they're dead of drug overdoses. So they went to long prison sentences, unfortunately. One guy I ended up meeting in prison, I don't know if you remember him, Albin, uh, who a black guy, who, and he's now a yoga teacher who runs his own yoga studio and all of that. So that is a nice, the whole program at Back in the Ring started that I wanted to give something back to society because I was lost and reckless from the time I was 16 to 18. But And then later I, I moved uh, from, from Oslo to Sweden, starting, you know, 
um, ex pursuing a career as a, a ballet dancer. <laughs> Not belly, but ballet. <laughs> How do you balance those two things? Uh, yeah. you know, going from being yeah. a, a, a street thug turned boxer, yeah, yeah. Um, a very because successful that, that boxer. Was I was, I was, a, I was a break dancer in my youth, and also in the region <laughs> champion there in 1984. You know, so, and then I had a friend who was a jazz dancer, so he kind of brought me along for the jazz class, and I was the worst guy in the class. But it wasn't that many male people dancing at that time, so you could right. say I was lucky. And I got accepted at the Ballet Academy in Sweden. And I studied there for the first year. I did boxing at the same time. And I became Norwegian champion that year. But then I also had a son. And then I thought, okay, now I have to take my studies more serious. And I took a break from boxing. And I was very glad and happy that I, I, I never went back. Because there's a life after boxing also, particularly when you do it on an international level, it's it's hard and the impact, you know, it, it caused certain damages and sores and scar to the body, brain, mentality, and it's not worth it long run, you know. So luckily I got uh, I got away from it pretty unharmed and unscarred. <laughs> but and then you a, found yoga. <laughs> yeah, then I found in the mid-20s in, in Sweden, I just accidentally joined the yoga class and I remember lying there in Shavasana afterwards and just feeling wow this I've been longing for and this it was something I was missing in my life and you can say maybe it was the peace of mind maybe it was that holistic experience of the body-mind connection I don't know but ever since that I, I kind of made yoga you know, an important part of my life and I pursued the practice pretty much four or five six times a week and uh, yeah, as seems to be your nature, went uh, pretty far pretty quickly. <laughs> and uh, before long, <laughs> you're in India um, and not just studying physical yoga practice, but really trying to immerse yourself in mastery of Indian wisdom, studying Sanskrit and all manner of philosophy. Well, Where did that drive come from? I don't know if it was mastery. It was more like an inquiry and a hidden interest to do something with my brain and focus all because you know I had so much energy and probably all HDHD and all the letters right. you could have at that time but you know but mm. I had um I, I just had a longing to to learn and and I was also fortunate I came to London in 96 actually supposed to pursue a further Korean career in theater and dance but I was so absorbed in the whole kind of yoga uh, scene who was starting there in, back in London in 96 and before I know it I was working at Crete for first at Ibiza for Godfrey Devereaux like a self-proclaimed tantric mystic <laughs> and then later for Derek Ireland in Crete for two form. very strong characters yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they, I'm really grateful for the time I spent with those two guys you know because that also shaped me and then I came back to London and that's when I started SOAS okay so you went to study initially without having been to India but you decided you wanted to focus on Indian traditions because yeah. of your yoga experience because of the yoga and I had an interest to kind of study Indian on Eastern philosophy and then there was a program that I, I spoke to, you know, what on the advices at SOAS and 
they actually were, and I was very, very fortunate because I was like missing. I didn't have a proper A-level due to being wild and reckless in my youth. Uh, so they were, they admitted me at SOAS on a, you could say, diploma course. And then I got, since I did that, I got accepted into the BA program the following year. And then late, later I did a master program in Indian philosophy and Sanskrit. So you'd already got some you know, proficiency in Sanskrit before you show up in, in Mysore and start trying to learn? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Already... No, I had a first uh, degree with Renata. No, well, yeah, later with Renata Sermentima, and then, yeah. uh, you know, who was married to Paul Tima. And then um, we had another woman, the first course. So I had a basic, you know, the first year at SOAS was, of course, hard, you know, going through the Sanskrit with missing a lot of the you know, formal qualification. So I, I really struggled that for first year to, you know, get a good grasp of it. But then later, I when I went to India in 1998, I was very fortunate to meet some great teachers at the Sanskrit College in Mysore and other people working at the Oriental Research Library who became my teachers and guided me. Uh, like H.V. Nagaraj Rao, M.A. Alwar, Gangadhara Bhatt and other people. So that was... I would feel infinitely grateful for that. And then, of course, I met with Patabi Joyce and, and studying with him and trying to impress myself on him. And, you know, you know, that was a whole very interesting experience. <laughs> How long did you study with him for? Well, I studied, you know, first of all, I, when I studied with Patabi Joyce, uh, I also told him that I was a student of uh, Shankaranarayana Joyce, which was an enemy to him at the time. And uh, because they had some unresolved issues way back. So he was just like, OK, you come back later. He didn't want me as his student. But I kept persisting, coming back every month, asking to to be accepted as his student. And finally, the fourth month, he let me come. Uh, and I so and and a lot of that I, I was I think uh, grateful to Sharat actually who saw my sincerity and uh, interest so he said okay let him come you know and and then I start I was basically a student of Patabi Joyce from ninety eight uh, until he died in two thousand and nine. Yeah, every year, and I spent years, and basically from during that period of time, from two thousand and eight to twenty nineteen, I spent you know from two ninety eight to two thousand, I lived in Mysore almost continuously, uh, and then later I was there for three to six months almost every year. So I, you know, I got a lot of experience though you know you could say pushing myself through the series uh, making hoops with the practice <laughs> then also seeing the way Patabi Joyce worked uh, and um, in talking to him getting to know him seeing him you know as a human being rather than just this Guruji you know that was I was infinitely grateful for that time I remember seeing, in fact, the first time I, I saw your face was uh, in this film, Breath of the Gods, uh, where you're oh, yeah. <laughs> helping the director find <laughs> yeah. his way around the yeah. uh, the traditions that come from Krishnamacharya. 
and yeah. uh, you know there there's Patubby Joys, and you're sort of sitting there helping to interpret mm. and you know get get a bit of yoga instruction across, but also um, yeah, there's a kind of worlds collide thing happening as this earnest German film director trying to research things, and mm. Tubby Joys sort of sitting back, you know, very relaxed. And then there's this one scene where he go and uh, he has this sort of reintroduction to some of his you know old friends. And he's wearing all this gold. <laughs> and, yes. uh, just sort of, yeah. Uh, I guess it was and easy. And rings. <laughs> exactly. No, no. Uh, you know, and all these stories about, you know, the first question you get asked when you turn up wanting to study is, you know, have you got money? <laughs> yeah. Mm. He was a worldly guy, it seems. Mm. Um, and uh, I wonder, was it his students who put him on that pedestal, gave him this name Guruji? Or, or was that something he was quite keen to to see them develop? No, I don't definitely don't think Patabra Joyce ever wanted to be Guruji or like be put on a pedestal. Because I remember once in, in England to, in 2000, where I had a good friend that I brought from the Sanskrit college, if it was 2000, 2001 maybe, where Patabra Joyce came with the family and they were teaching and things like that. And then he said to, to my friend Vinayaka Bhatt in, in Canada, he said like, Look at this craziness, I said. <laughs> I never asked for this. I never dreamt of this. But that's just the effect of yoga. I just try to serve yoga and look up where I have become, was kind of what he said. And I remember Vinayaka Bhatt afterwards said, that, wow, that was a very humble um, way of saying he didn't go looking for fame and name like, Unfortunately, a lot of modern yoga teachers do these days, and it comes with a lot of problem. Remember, Patabi Joyce, you know, he taught for 37 years at the Sanskrit College, just being a basic gym instructor. He was yeah. being basically the physical teacher for the Sanskrit students and being having the lowest salary pay. And then later he worked for the Ayurveda College. Then later he started teaching out of his own uh, house in Lakshmi Puram in the you know early 70s and kind of the rest is history but I never get the impression that Patabi Joyce wanted to play a guru because he was very in some of the questions he was asked and in some of the you know you could conferences that he would participate in he he never tried to put himself up like a like a guru. I th he was just like this grandfather sitting there trying to give advice uh, on his uh, personal views on yoga. And when that being said, you know, like. Thanks for tuning in to this preview. Uh, to continue listening and to get access to all archived episodes along with other perks, visit ancientfutures.substack.com.